Today's first scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And the second scripture is Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Earlier this summer, my wife and I got a chance to go up to Royal Stadium, to the K, and go to a game. And it was uh, an unusual day because we actually were able to go in and see the Royals take batting practice. Uh, It used to be back in the day, that was kind of normal. But anymore, you go up there and if you see batting practice at all, it's for the other team. And uh, so you have to kind of align the stars to see the Royals batting practice. But we did that day. And they let you go uh, up to the dugouts and behind home plate and all that good stuff. And so as I was milling around there, watching batting practice, I saw a guy. He's a few feet from me, and he has uh, the legit Royals jersey on. He has even the undershirt that goes under the, the jersey. He has the hat. He has full pants, baseball pants, the belt, right, that goes. He has stirrups on. Okay. And, um, for just, he had a glove, just a, the, the splittest of seconds. I, on his back, his name, Hosmer. Okay. And for just a split second, I thought, no, no, that's not Hosmer. That's, that's not Eric Hosmer. Eric Hosmer's taking batting practice right down there. Right. It didn't take me, but that long to realize This is not Hosmer. Hosmer is, in fact, on the field. What's the difference? Pretty easy to tell the difference. What about us as we come into this place? There are a lot of things on the outside that can point to somebody being a Christian. We, uh, already today, we have come in, we've taken our seats, and we've gathered together, we've fellowshiped a little, we have sung We have opened the scripture and read the scripture today, and we've been kind to one another and greeted one another. And and as we go out these doors, all of those things would characterize a Christian, right? All of those things, though, can be duplicated by people who are not Christians very easily. Somebody can come in here, just like our uh, guy Hosmer, who is in the stands and not on the field. Somebody can come in here, and they can sing, and they can sit in the pew, and they can, they can uh, uh, pray, 
and they can fellowship, but they may not be a real Christian. What determines who is a real Christian and who is not? And there is a core truth that we've been trying to talk about for several weeks that makes somebody a Christian. What is this core? It is this, that we trust Jesus and his work and not our own. And we've articulated it this way. The gospel is Jesus plus, say it, nothing. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing else. We trust that that truth is what makes us Christians. And so in this text, in Galatians chapter 2, what we're talking about and what we're encountering is a summary of all the things that Paul said to Peter, who is another apostle of Jesus, and all of the others who he led astray by his own hypocrisy. What was he doing? Well, he refused to eat with the Gentile believers because when the Jewish believers came in on the scene, he was afraid of what they might think. And so he stopped eating with his Gentile believers brothers. And Paul pops up and he challenges Peter to return to the core of what it means to be a Christian. Remember what it means to be a Christian, Peter. He says this specifically, you're not in step with the gospel. Would you get back to walking the line of the gospel? Now, We've been talking about this text for several weeks, and what we encounter in this text is several terms and phrases that when we come to Christianity, it's way better if we understand those words and phrases. It's no different than any other field. Uh, Specific fields have specific terminology that we use um, within those fields of study, and when we know those terms we can easily, more easily navigate, you know, the field. And so we've been playing a little game uh, each week. This is Guess the Field, and I have two this week, okay? And so, uh, Bob, we're going to go one line at a time. I want you to guess the field that we're talking about. The, the words, uh, the uh, terminology, sentence, habeas corpus. If you know, would you just raise your hand? There might be some people who already, yes, have a sense of what field this is. Go ahead. Second, arraignment, bail, indictment. Are there more hands that have just gone up? Yeah, okay. Third, burden of proof, verdict. Fourth, acquittal, conviction, jury. Now, do a lot more people know what we're talking about? Hands? Yes? Okay. What else? Litigation, plea, Witness, what field are we talking about? Law or I just put legal, I think. Yes, legal field. That's a legal field. Very good. All right, here's the next one. And for this one, uh, there are a few really geeky, nerdy people in the audience, Brian Allen, that might know this immediately. Okay, so just, all right. Okay, guess the field. Sistema Peralta Moonshot. Have you got it? No? Oh, I thought for sure you were my man. Okay. Anybody have a clue? Just raise your hand. Don't say it. Okay. There's a clue right there. Uh, second, second line. Cup of coffee, dirt dog, ace. Now you got it. Now Brian's got it. Yep. Anybody else? Katie maybe has it. Okay. Third line. Mendoza line. Golden sombrero. Does that help anybody? Still, still, yeah, Tony's got it. Okay. I knew Tony would jump in. Uh, best of five, corked, battery. What else? 
Can of corn, small ball, OPS. Anybody know the field now? What is it, Brian? That is baseball, right, baseball. The Sistema Peralta is where you take uh, your nine innings and you divide them into threes and you have one pitcher pitch the first three and another pitcher pitch the the middle three and another pitcher pitch the last three. Uh, The cup of coffee is when a minor leaguer is called up to the major leagues, but they are there just long enough for a cup of coffee and then they are sent back down to the minor leagues, okay? And uh, the other one that I love is golden sombrero. Anybody know what that is? It is when, yes, yeah, Tony's got it. Say it. Yes, when, when one player strikes out four times in the same game. That is a golden sombrero, not something you want, okay? Now, I don't have to explain that now. I can just say, hey, he had a golden sombrero, and you instantly know what happened to some player last night, right? That's an industry-specific term, and it helps us because it's compressed truth, and it helps us to express um, something that is specific to baseball. And the gospel is the same way. We have specific terminology The terms help us to compress some truth, and when we throw them around in church, sometimes it's confusing, and so it helps us to go back and unpack those terms so that everybody's on the same page. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is wanting to be right. And everybody wants to be right with people around them. They want to be right with the world. And ultimately, whether they realize it or not, they want to be right with God. And only the gospel lets us be right with other people and with God and with our world. We talked about last week dying to the law. And we could say about that that everybody wants to be right. But rightness also means having the right motive. Just like Hosmer in the stands, we can look all right on the outside, but we on the inside can be all wrong. And that's what dying to the law means. Paul says, if I do the right things, but for the wrong reasons, then I've put myself back under the law and I'm trying to save myself, in which case Christ died for nothing. And so only the gospel gives us a motive that is right and pure in doing the right thing. And next week, we're going to look at crucified with Christ. This week, the compressed truth of the gospel that we are looking at is this term, justified. Justified. The phrase that Paul uses is justified by faith. He uses it in Galatians 2. He uses it in Romans uh, many times. Justified by faith. What does it mean? The English word actually helps us because it's exactly the same thing as the Greek word. The Uh, If you look in Webster's, you will find this for justification, the action of showing something to be right or reasonable. And so when you justify something, we could say it this way, you do not change the fact of it, but you change the view of it. In your notes, I've put it this way. Justification is to take an event and change the view of it. Okay, now that's a pretty straightforward definition. So uh, in order for you to grab a hold of that, I want to give you two illustrations. I want to give you a little Bible study and then three implications of this word, this compressed truth justification. Here's the first illustration. It involves you and your teenager. If you don't have a teenager, just 
hypothetically, okay? Because you know how teenagers are, right? Here's what's going on. You say to your teenager, you grab them by the shoulders and you say, Friday, I need you to be home by four o'clock. Four o'clock, Friday, you got to be home because we have the night planned. You have to be here to watch the younger children And you have to be here at four because there are reservations involved. And if you are late, that means we're late. And if we're late, that means we lose the spot. And the night that we have planned cannot happen. Do you understand, dear teenager, what time on Friday you need to be here? Yeah. Four. Some of you have lived that. Okay. What happens on Friday? Oh, you know what happens, right? Friday comes, and it's four o'clock. No teenager. Okay, I'm a little miffed, but 4.08 comes, and now I'm more than a little miffed. I'm starting to get mad. And 4.15 comes, and now I'm kind of boiling. And 4.30 comes, and there's no teenager, and now steam is going out of the top of my head. And now 4.45 comes and there are hot flames and fireballs coming out of my eye sockets because the night is ruined. The reservations are lost. Nothing that is planned is going to happen. And finally, almost an hour late, this teenager arrives. Your child arrives, right? It's never my child at that point. It's your child arrives. And finally, the teenager stands in front of you an hour late whose brain is not fully cooked. And they say to you this, I know I'm late, but you need to understand why. And they say, I was at Sonic. I was with my friends and I was ready to leave so that I could be here at four o'clock. And when I was about ready to leave, a truck came barreling through into the Sonic drive through lane. They came to a screeching halt right at the door and two masked men jumped out of the truck. They flashed guns around. They told everybody to get down. They went inside. They robbed the cash drawer of Sonic. They came back out, told everybody to stay down, and they hopped back in the truck and they went fleeing off. The police were close at hand because it's only half a block away. So they were, they were quick getting there, but the guys had escaped. And so they would not let anybody leave until they had, given, they had gotten a statement from everybody. What has your teenager just done? Oh, she hasn't changed anything. He hasn't changed anything. Your night is still ruined. They are still late. But now you can understand why. They have justified themselves in your eyes. They have taken the event and changed your view of it. Here's the second illustration that I just love. One of my favorite um, illustrations of this is from Les Miserables. Uh, Any... Any Les Miserables fans? Yeah, a few more hands than in first service. That's, that's awesome. Um, in Les Miserables, if you're not familiar with that uh, book by Victor Hugo or movie or stage, you know, uh, theater production, um, there's a guy named Jean Valjean, and he gets out of prison, and he has nowhere to go. 
And so he wanders into a monastery or a church or something, and there is a bishop there who takes him in. And that's what I need to tell you to set up this scene. I want you to watch what the bishop does. Come and suffer, you are weary. And the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for God. The bishop can't change what happened. Still, the silver was stolen. Jean Valjean was a criminal. But he changes the view of what happened. He changes the view of how the police are viewing it. He changes the view of how the sisters behind him are seeing it. He changes the view of how Jean Valjean himself is seeing himself. 
And that justification that this bishop gives to Jean Valjean is the turning point of his life. And the story doesn't work without that scene, without that justification. And just like Jean Valjean, our justification through Jesus is the turning point of our, in our lives. The, the heart of the gospel is this, that our record hasn't changed. We are still deadbeat sinners. We are still unworthy. We are still unclean. And yet, the way God sees us has been changed because of what Jesus has done on the cross. That's justification. We've still sinned. We've still done wrong, but something happens. It's not that God has actually made us good or noble or worthy or valuable or beautiful, but he sees you as that. He sees us as that because Jesus has intervened with his righteous and good and perfect life. And so, if that's what can illustrate justification, let me tell you how it works in this text with a little Bible study. Paul is getting out with Peter that the climax of his speech is that we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus. This is verse 16, that we may be justified by faith. In Christ, And not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Justified by faith is central to the Christian faith. It's Paul's nutshell summary of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus plus, let me hear you say it, nothing. But what does that mean? It means that we trust Jesus and him only to justify us before God. We trust Jesus' work to change the view that God has of us. By the way, it's a great answer to what is a Christian, the way we started. What is a Christian? It's someone who has been justified in, the God, in, in God's eyes by faith in Jesus Christ. And so one of the things we need to remember is that even an apostle who walked with Jesus, this is Peter we're talking about, and even Peter has to be reminded of this. If, if one of the guys that knew Jesus face-to-face needs to remind, be reminded of this, how much more do we every day? I need to re- be reminded that I need to relearn what it means to trust Jesus fully and not myself. And so we have to connect this concept of justification with Paul's controversy with Peter. And the controversy is basically about being unclean. And in Jewish eyes... You had to be clean in order to be acceptable to God. And in order to worship God effectively, you had to be clean. And eating with a Gentile person made you unclean. In the Old Testament, you, the, the Jewish people kept ceremonial laws. They, they kept dietary laws. There were laws about how you dressed and what you did with your body to mark it so that you were part of God's people. And this would separate you from the people who would make you unclean. And in this context, Paul pairs that idea of clean and unclean with this word justification. Justification is simply, essentially the same thing as being clean. To be justified is to be acceptable for fellowship with God. And Paul says, no one will be clean based on keeping the law. Nobody can justify themselves because no one can keep the law fully. That's what we talked about last week. Now, it's at this point that it's probably helpful to bring up another facet of this word justification. It has a legal reference, which is why we talked about the legal field earlier. Think of a courtroom setting. 
put yourself in that situation with some of those words that we put up there. Defense attorney, judge, jury, witnesses, bailiff, right? You, you get it. You're in that setting. And in that setting, the opposite of justified, if a person is not found not guilty, if he's acquitted, if he's justified, if he's not that, then he is condemned, is exactly right. In a court, at the end of the trial, when all the evidence is weighed and the arguments are heard, the accused person is either justified and acquitted or they are found guilty and condemned. And when we step into the court where God is the judge, because of our sin, we are automatically condemned. We have no way out. Only Jesus can successfully step into that picture, into the courtroom of God, And plead our case. Justification means that Christ steps up beside us as our defense attorney in God's court. And when the sin charges are brought against us, Jesus pleads our case. And what a great case he has in front of God. It goes something like this. Yes, God, I know that this person is a sinner. I know that sin must be paid for. A punishment must be doled out to pay for the sin that has occurred. But your honor, God, I want you to remind you that even though this person is a sinner, their sin has already been paid for. Because I paid for their sin by giving my own life as a sacrifice on the cross. And since that sin has already been paid for, it would not be right for you to exact another penalty for sin that's already been paid for. And so the right decision here, God, is to declare them not guilty, set them free. And our only chance in not facing the judgment of God is Jesus, our defense attorney. He argues that though we are actually sinners, we are not under condemnation because the penalty has been paid in full. We sing it this way, Jesus paid it all, right? And that's Paul's argument to Peter. No one is justified before God except through Christ. No person can manufacture on their own a reason for God to change his view of what has happened in their life. There's no excuse that we can come up with. There's no reason that's good enough. There's no promising to live a better life that will measure up. The only way God changes his view of you and your sin is Jesus. Is Jesus. And in Peter's life and ours... The implications of that are huge. I want to give you, just quickly, three. If the only way God changes his view of you and your sin is Jesus, then first, he will only do everything for you or nothing at all. Nothing at all. Verse 21, Paul says, If at any point and in any way righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. For nothing. Christ will either do everything for you or nothing at all. You cannot combine your merit or your good deeds and his grace. It doesn't work that way. If justification is by the law in any way or even the smallest good deed that we might do, then Christ's death is meaningless in history and it is meaningless to you personally. Those are huge statements to make. Let me put a picture to it. If your house was burning down, 
and you were able to get all of your family out of that house and you're standing, uh, even the pets, everything's out that you want, you know, all of your valuables, all that stuff. You, you were able to get it out and you're standing here on the sidewalk. You're watching your house burn. And I come up beside you and I put my arm around you and I say, I want you to know how much I love you. And then I took off running into the house to try to save the people inside. You would think, wow, he's a little short. (laughs) Um, That was dumb and kind of insane and stupid. What a waste. If, on the other hand, you're in the same spot and you're watching that house burn and there is somebody inside. And I come up to you and I say, I want you to know how much I love you. And I took off inside. And I risked my own life to save the life or the lives of your loved ones. And I was able to get them out, but it cost me my own. What would you think? You would think exactly the opposite. You would think, wow, he really did love us. He really did love us. See, if we can save ourselves in any way, then Christ's death was pointless and it means nothing. If we realize we can't save ourselves, that there's nothing we can do to get to escape the burning house, then Christ's death will mean everything to us. Here's number two. If the only way God changes his view of you and your sin is Jesus, then there's room for everyone. That is a simple thought. It means that Because justification is in Jesus and nothing else, that the Gentiles are welcome back at the table. There's no reason for Peter to say, I won't eat with you anymore. There's room for everyone at the table. And that's a huge statement to make. And the implications of that are even bigger. What would it look like in this place if there was really room for everyone? What if we opened those doors and we said, it doesn't matter doesn't matter what your life looks like, you are welcome because there is room for you. Think about what kind of people that might bring around this table that we all share. But before you get too judgmental about that, remember that God let you in. He let me in. And if he let me in, my goodness, there's room for everyone. And am I not different than I once was because Jesus put the candlesticks into my sack and said, you're free to go? How dare we deprive somebody else of that journey that we have been able to take? Number three, if the only way God changes his view of you and your sin is Jesus, then in God's eyes, you are already the person that you're trying to be. You are already the person that you're trying to be. To be. I want you to uh, go back to the K with me, and I am watching batting practice, and I see this guy, and he has the uniform on, and on the back of the jersey, it says Hosmer. And it was probably the gray hair coming out from underneath the cap <laughs> that tipped me off first. Uh, secondly, for sure, the tennis shoes that he was wearing. This is not Hosmer. 
And then I thought, well, man, this guy's kind of over the top. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of insane, right? I mean, I bring my gloves to the, to the park, you know, uh, even though I'm sitting in nosebleed, you know. There's always hope that I'm going to get a foul ball. But this, I mean, coming decked out in a full uniform, that's, that's kind of crazy, crazy. And as I walked away, I thought, wait a minute. What if, just what if, what if that guy wasn't an imposter? What if he took out his wallet and he flashed his license in front of me and on his license it said, Ed Hosmer? What if that happened? And what if, what if he said, the reason it says Ed Hosmer and the reason I'm here decked out in this uniform is because I've known Eric since he was a baby because I was there. I was there when he was born. And maybe in the course of conversation, we find out that he's Eric's dad or Eric's uncle or Eric's grandfather. He is, all of a sudden, not a crazy person. All of a sudden, he's Eric Hosmer's family. Dad, uncle, grandfather. And if so, what he's done is he's just changed our view of what is in front of us. He has just justified himself. The crazy old man Royals fan has been justified. He's no longer an imposter, but he's the the real thing. And it's not because he can go out on first base and dig a throw from shortstop. That's not it. It's because of his name. It's because of his family. He's a Hosmer. And he has just as much right to that uniform as the guy who is on first base digging those balls thrown from the opposite side of the field. In Christ, this is what I need you to leave with. We are the old man in the Hosmer suit. We are justified. And God has changed his view of us, not because we're able to play life well, not because we're superstars, not because we're MVPs at living life, but because of our position, because of our connection with Jesus through faith in baptism. We have said, I need forgiveness of sin. I need the gift of the Holy Spirit. And because we've said that, we are co-heirs with Christ. And we are still the old guy in the baseball uniform. Nothing has changed. And yet, we are at the same time Christ himself. Because that's how God sees us. Because of what Christ has done. We are Christians through and through because we trust, because we believe, because we have faith in what Christ has done to change God's view of us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have this thing called justification. That we're in the same boat as we've always been. And yet, because of what Jesus has done, you don't see us in the sin and in the muck and in the mud that we once were in. Instead, you see us in the perfect, righteous, and holy light that you see your son Jesus in. Oh, that gives us hope. That gives us joy. It gives us purpose and meaning. 
Father, we thank you that Jesus has done this for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.